Rise for the reason of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 16, verse 25 to 33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is God's holy word. There's an often told story about a contest to find a depiction of perfect peace. The judge's decision came down to two paintings. One pictured a mirror-smooth lake just before sunset with a flock of sheep grazing undisturbed on plush green grass along the shoreline. The second showed a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a rocky precipice. Storm clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. And a spindly tree protruded from the rocks at the edge of the falls, with one of its branches reaching out behind the waterfall. And on that branch sat a bird on its nest of eggs, undisturbed by all the stormy surroundings. We usually think of peace as portrayed in that first painting. But the peace that Jesus Christ offered his disciples was the second kind of peace. Jesus knew his disciples would face rejection, persecution, and martyrdom. And so he says in his final words in the upper rooms, in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, in me you may have peace. That's a peace that Christ offers every one of us today. Let's pray. Father, uh, the this passage, as just about every passage is, has too much for a human being to portray. But Lord, your spirit can work in each of our hearts. I pray you work in me today as I speak, but in each heart as we listen to your words, not so much mine, but your words, God, so that we might have that peace no matter what goes on around us, what comes forth. So God, guide us, teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' training of his disciples the night he was arrested. He opened that night modeling humility by washing their feet and calling them to humble servanthood. He taught them the greatest commandment, to love one another as he loved them. He spoke to them of the importance of abiding in him because that's the only way they could bear fruit. And he promised the Holy Spirit. 
and gave them the promise that he goes to prepare a place for them. Then he spoke of the persecution they would endure. Jesus concluded his training with our passage this morning by offering us and them the resources that can bring us a supernatural peace in the swirling turmoil that would mark their lives and could mark ours as well. Jesus said in verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So this morning we're going to look at the resources that Jesus Christ offers us in this passage to bring us peace. And they are an understanding of God's word, prayer in his name, the centrality of the gospel, the critical nature of belief, and the victory in Christ is overcoming the world. You may note that's five points, not three, but uh, that's what Jesus gives us this morning. So again, God's word, prayer, the gospel, belief, and Christ overcoming the world. For the disciples to have peace, they'd have to have complete confidence that they were investing their lives in that which was true, right, and good. So Jesus began by promising a clear understanding of his words as a resource for their journey ahead. Verse 25 I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus used figures of speech throughout his ministry. In John, he spoke of being born again. He told people he would raise up the temple in three days. He gave an imagery through his foot washing of the disciples. He spoke of the vine and the branches and just spoke about childbirth. But so much of Jesus' teaching was very clear and repeated that it's any misunderstanding, any lack of comprehension really wasn't on Jesus' words. It was on the disciples' lack of understanding. They were often clueless. But here Jesus promises them clarity in their future. That clarity ultimately would come from the divine helper, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised a few verses earlier. Understanding and acceptance of the word of God was the foundation upon which they would build their lives, their ministry, and have their emotional well-being. The same is true for us. The word of God is crucial for living confidently in an ever-changing world because it gives us a firm foundation for our values and perspectives. We will never have emotional security if we lack confidence in the values that we live by, raise our children with, and preach to others. Christian values seeming to clash more and more with our cultural values each year. Are we confident that our values are grounded on the creator and not on human authority. We should be. Jesus 
is the one who brings truth and life and light. We can only have assurance that we have truth if we build our lives on his words, not on our personal opinions. As the hymn goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So he gave them their foundation, not just the word of God, but a clear understanding of it. Prayer in Jesus' name is just as important as the word of God. And Jesus has reminded his disciples of that in verses 26 and 27 when he said, In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have come to believe that I came from God. Now the most important words are, In that day you will ask in my name. But Jesus clarifies that because he knows it could lead to misunderstanding. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And he wants to deconstruct any possible thought that that means we will ask Jesus to pray to the Father. He wants to just take away any thought that they couldn't go directly to the Father. He's saying, no, praying in my name does bring you directly to the Father because he loves you. He wants that intimate relationship with you. So, he's excluding any thought that we pray to Jesus so Jesus can bring our prayers to the Father because Jesus is better than us. He also excludes any idea that we pray to deceased saints so that they are better people than us and can bring our prayers to God. We go directly to God. Now we go directly in the fact that Jesus is our mediator. When he died for our sin, he took away that barrier that was between us and a holy God. So now we can go directly to the Father in prayer. So we do come and pray in the authority of Jesus. But we don't pray to Jesus, we go to the Father. To pray in Jesus' name also means that we pray according to the nature of Jesus, the purposes of Jesus, the perspective of Jesus, and the values of Jesus. If a police officer comes and knocks on your door and says, open up in the name of the law, that officer is saying, I come in the authority of the law. But that officer is also saying, I come aligned with the law. I don't come to serve my own personal purposes. I come to serve the purpose of this warrant. To pray in the name of Jesus means we come to the Lord in the authority of Jesus Christ. But it also means that we come and pray aligned with the nature of Jesus Christ, of his values, of his program, of his desires. We would know we pray in Jesus' name if we could conclude our prayers by saying, I pray these things because I believe Jesus Christ would pray these things.
It's not that we ask Jesus to pray him. It's more that Jesus is asking us to pray these things because it expresses his heart and his mission. So, clear understanding of the word of God, which is the foundation of our lives. Uniting ourselves with the mission of Christ actually helps to bring us peace. There was a uh, study that Duke University did to discover the factors that bring peace of mind. They cited eight factors that contributed to mental and emotional stability. I believe the most important factor was this, quote, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people scored the lowest in any test for measuring happiness. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are uniting ourselves not only with a God who is bigger than ourselves, but a mission that is bigger than ourselves. What is bigger than serving and glorifying the God of creation? What is a bigger mission than bringing the message of eternal life to a lost world? What's more meaningful than uniting with God in prayer for the advancement of the kingdom of God? We can find peace through prayer in Jesus' name because it unites us with the grandeur of the mission of Jesus Christ. So Jesus continued by pointing his disciples to the splendor of the gospel which brings peace. John 16, 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. You know, while the disciples believe that Jesus now, we get it, they said, you're going to the Father, we get that. They still didn't grasp the entirety of God's plan or really even the purpose that Jesus Christ came for, to die. And so in these words, Jesus gives really a summary of the plan of God, which includes the gospel that they need to be grounded in. So as they read, I came from the Father. This points to the eternal plan of the Father, the eternal relationship between Father and Son and intimacy and mutually glorifying one another. And so from that relationship, God creates humanity and creates a universe so others can experience the same joy that the father and son experience in their relationship with each other. And so he came from that relationship. But he came because sin had entered the world and broken that relationship between us and God. And so he says, I have come into the world. He was sent into the world by the father to bring us into that relationship to pay for our sin so we could live with God. So this incorporates the gospel. Christ, God himself, became man, incarnate, lived among us, brought the teaching of God, brought an experience with God, and ultimately died for our sins, and then rose again. And then... 
he leaves the world. And these words, leaving the world, anticipate his ascension into heaven. And from there, he will send his Holy Spirit to complete his mission. And the last words, he's leaving the world and he's going to the Father. He will sit at the right hand of the Father and he will be our advocate as he is right now. He is our advocate in the heavenlies. So in these words, though very simple, include the entire plan of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that ministers peace to our lives. When we connect with the gospel truths, they will guard our hearts and our minds through the struggles and trials of life. It would, it would grant them peace, and it can grant us the same peace. When we feel rejected, we should meditate on the fact that the God of the universe so accepts us and loves us that he sent his son for us. When we feel as though we don't matter, that we're insignificant, we should realize the price that God paid for us. Not gold or silver or precious stones, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When we dread the future, let's trust the sovereign Lord who's proven he wants the best for us and he'll do anything for us because he gave his son for us. When we feel the stress of tribulation, let's exalt in that tribulation because we know it can produce Christ-likeness in us. And we want that Christ-likeness because of the love of Christ is so great that we love him and want to become like him. When we fear persecution, we should realize that the gospel brings us an eternal life, an eternity with the Lord, so that no matter what happens here, that is settled. The gospel provides all we need for peace with God and with our circumstances. The disciples hadn't yet grasped the wonders of the gospel. Their belief wasn't much beyond uh, the Father sent Jesus. Yet, in this passage, they seem so confident that they understand and they don't really need to know anything more. We know you came from the Father, and that's good. So we read verses 29 and 31. The disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know all things, and we do not need anyone to question you. And this is why we believe that you came from God. So they're pretty confident now. Oh, now, now, we're, now we're getting it. Uh, you're from God, and we shouldn't be asking you questions because you got all the answers. But, uh, and Jesus says, do you now believe? They thought they'd arrived. They, although they acknowledged that Jesus came from the Father, that he had all truth, their faith was shallow. It had a weak understanding of Jesus' teaching, and they were not, it was, that teaching was not impacting their life. They believed with their heads, but they weren't believing with their lives. Like so many of us, 
the disciples were delusional about the depth of their knowledge and the depth of their faith. And so Jesus confronts them with the fact, do you now believe? No. Behold, an hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Their lives would not match what they purport to believe. We'll never have peace if we only believe with our heads. That belief needs to penetrate the fiber of our lives and move the way we live. We need to know what Jesus teaches. We need to know doctrine. It's critical. But we need to believe it so deeply that it impacts our lives. The disciples found peace while they were being rejected, persecuted, and martyred because they believed, they truly believed in the mission that Christ gave them. They truly believed in the power of the gospel and they truly trusted his faithfulness and they truly believed he had the truth and they lived it out. They believed in the nature of God, the supremacy of Christ, their sinful nature, the significance of the cross, their ultimate destiny. They lived all of this out. What if we actually lived by everything we purport to believe? Our lives would be transformed like theirs. Our confidence would rest in Christ. Our view of the circumstances would be filtered through the idea that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and called according to his purposes. When we are afflicted, we would have an eternal perspective and, and say like Paul, I'm experiencing momentary light affliction that produces an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And when we face death, the words of Jesus Christ would drill deeply into our hearts. I go to prepare a place for you. If we really believe the words of God, the sovereignty of God, the supremacy of Christ, our hearts would be guarded in peace. But beyond that, when we live out the word of God, we live righteously. We live right, and we know we're living right. As Psalm 85 says, righteousness and peace kiss. Righteousness and peace kiss. When we know we have lived rightly before God and that God will one day say, well done, my good and faithful servant, we have peace. So Jesus concluded his teaching with one more resource. The reality that he has overcome the world. Verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus pointed 
to what he had just said. He talked about understanding his word, prayer in his name, ministry of the gospel, and the depth of our faith. These are all factors to help us in a world that brings tribulation. Now he adds the crowning achievement of all. He has overcome the world. No one has ever experienced tribulation as great as Jesus did. Not only did he experience the rejection of those he came to save, the brutality that left him at the edge of death, humiliation from those he created, an excruciating death, abandonment by his followers, he experienced the wrath of God, which we deserved. He was seemingly defeated in every way, yet in each area of defeat was turned into victory. Jesus overcame the world. He turned the rejection by his people into salvation for the world. The brutality he suffered into the greatest expression of love. Father, forgive them, he said. Humiliation was turned into glory when the centurion declares, truly this is the Son of God. Death into life, abandonment into intimacy, his judgment into our forgiveness, despair into hope, darkness into light. Jesus has overcome the world. D.A. Carson captures the implications of what Jesus has done for our lives. Quote, The decisive battle has been waged and won. The world continues its wretched attacks, but those who are in Christ share the victory he has won. They cannot be harmed by the world's evil. They know who triumphs in the end. From this they take heart and begin to share his peace. We become overcomers when we unite with Jesus Christ. Among the most superficial counsel we could give someone who is anxious, going through trials, suffering, is trust God. The most profound advice we could give that person is trust God. What's the difference? Well, the former is often given as a dismissive expression that's not followed up by helping a person to know how to trust God. The most profound answer of trusting God is when we share and walk alongside that person and help them understand precisely how the Word of God, how prayer in His name, how ministry of the gospel, Deep faith in Jesus' overcomer helps them have peace. In this passage, Jesus is, doesn't say trust God, but in everything he has taught in this passage, he is crying out, here is how to trust God. And by trusting him, you will have perfect peace. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for these words. Living in a tribulation, a persecution that was about to happen. Jesus could relate fully to what they were going through. And he passed to them. And God, I pray that he's passing to us today the peace that you have given him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.